Hey, thanks for listening to Cornerstone Church. You can find us on the web at akcornerstone.org. And we want you to know it's our prayer that the Holy Spirit will use this message to either save you through the good news about Jesus Christ, grow you into the likeness of Jesus, or send you to proclaim Jesus in the Spirit's power. If there is one word that you could pick to describe what a relationship with God is like, what word would you pick? What word would you choose? Maybe you've walked with God for a while now, and in your journey with the Lord, what have you discovered about Him? What word would you use to describe what it's been like walking with the Lord? Well, there's a a word that I've been pondering now for many years, and uh, it's a word that seems to me to best summarize and define what it means to walk with the Lord, what a relationship with the Lord looks like, what does biblical spirituality look like, what does discipleship look like. And one place where this word appears is in Psalm 34, verse 8. This may be one of your favorite verses in the Bible. It's one of mine. O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. In the New Testament, Peter even repeated that persuasion of his own soul, and he said, for you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. Isn't that an intriguing invitation that we are actually invited to taste God? We're invited to taste the goodness of the Lord. And the reason why... I like this word taste is because it describes how we are capable to experience God as real and personal. It's not the only metaphor in the Bible that describes what it's like to have a relationship with the Lord. There's many, many others. There's a Uh, The metaphor of putting on clothes. There's the metaphor of abiding in a vine. There's the metaphor of uh, entering into rest. But I particularly have found this word taste helpful. Taste, as as we all experience every day, simply means to perceive by means of the tongue. It means to have a certain sensory experience in consequence of something that has been applied to the tongue. I've thought about that for a long time, and I've come to the conclusion that the reason why taste is an excellent metaphor to describe the kind of relationship that God wants to enjoy with him is because he wants us to personally experience his presence as livingly real. You can't know without tasting. You can't know unless something is applied to the tongue how good it really is. The other day in our lunchroom over here, I was uh, g- grabbing some lunch that I had brought with me from the house. I had brought two boiled eggs. And I, I asked, uh, was it Shane and Lindsay? I said, do, you ha- do we have any vinegar in the kitchen? And they said, I don't know if there's any vinegar. What do you want vinegar for? I said, I always put vinegar on my eggs. And oh, did I ever get an uproar. And, uh, and Shane just kind of cringed as he watched me uh, eat those eggs with vinegar on them. How many of you like vinegar on your eggs? Oh, we've got some. You can't know it unless you experience it. You can't know how good it is unless you put vinegar, until you put vinegar on your eggs. 
Well, I've come to believe that this word taste is a beautiful description of the way that discipleship is supposed to work. A relationship with God is getting a taste of something that is unmatched and incomparable in its goodness. It's like getting a taste of something that is so amazing that it makes us hungry for more. It's a taste of something that eliminates an appetite for lesser things. And isn't it interesting, when you just stop to think about it, that when God describes the kind of relationship that he desires to have with us, that he's chosen to use the metaphor of tasting. He said he wants to relate to us in a way in which we relate to the taste of food. In other words, knowing God is like eating tasty food. I believe that God's eternal purpose for us is to be sustained by his living presence every day. It's not an accident that the Bible is bookended by a story about a tree of life in the book of Genesis and the book of Revelation. In Revelation, it tells us that when he returns again, there's going to be the rebudding of the tree of life, which will be for the healing of the nations. And God's object lesson for the teaching of the Israelites through the wilderness was to give them manna and give them quail so that every day they would learn to taste the Lord and to understand the Lord's sustaining presence. And so I want to speak to you today about how discipleship works by getting a taste of the majesty of God. Christians grow by experiencing the manifest presence of God. In other words, disciples are God tasters. My oldest son, Brandon, is a pastor, and he called me this week to talk church. He was driving from Toronto from a class he was attending at Tyndale Seminary and was driving that two-hour stretch down the highway on Highway 401. How many of you know where I'm talking about? (laughs) Talk to me later. And so he wanted to... uh, me to help him know how a church is supposed to make disciples. He said, Dad, can you help me know what strategy we should have about how a church should make disciples? And so I shared with him some of the thoughts that I'm going to talk to us about this morning. I want to share seven ways in which this metaphor tasting helps us explain how discipleship is supposed to work. And as you look at the notes in the brochure, you're probably a little alarmed that this is going to be a long morning. And I, oh, I did find a clock there. But I assure you, I'm not going to spend as much time on every point. But this first point I want to spend a little bit of time on. And that is that tasting is necessary because the human heart is hungry and needs to be filled. Jesus said, blessed are the hunger." Blessed are those who hunger and thirst, for they shall be filled. Psalm 107 verse 9 says, He satisfies the thirsty and fills the hungry with good things. There's something that I'm hungry for this morning. There's an area of spiritual life that I want to grow in today. I have a hunger to know more about the love of the Father. I've been a disciple of Christ for over 50 years, but I don't think that I fully comprehend how much the Father loves me. 
About five years ago, on September 15th, my father, my earthly father, passed away. And after he passed away, I was standing alone in his empty living room, and the chair that he had sat in was now gone, and his marked-up Bible was gone. I'd packed up all of his boxes and had just finished vacuuming all the cat hair. I was standing there by myself, alone, And although I knew that he was now at home in heaven, it was an emotional moment for me to let go of his home here on earth. And once I closed the door of his apartment, I knew that that was final closure, that I could never go home to see my father again. And so I was standing there, reluctant to leave, trying to let go, And all of a sudden, my heavenly father spoke to me. And he said, I'll be your father now. He said, I I took your earthly father home, but I'll be your father now. And I'll never forget that whisper to my spirit. In an instant, he gave me a taste of his goodness. And it was an experience of the manifest presence of God that continues to this day to make me hungry. And I don't think it's an accident that if you look at the timeline of my spiritual journey, that also about five years ago, around that same time, I became much more interested in living in the power of the Holy Spirit. And I received a fresh baptism of His presence. And it's been wonderful, and and I could talk to you for hours about it if there was something I'd really want to talk to you about I want to talk to you about the Holy Spirit and really this message this morning is all about the Holy Spirit but the one thing I want to say right now is that since this fresh fresh anointing that I experienced the Holy Spirit has given me a greater hunger for the fullness of Christ and I'm both at the same time incredibly satisfied incredibly full and yet extremely dissatisfied at the same time. I hunger to have a personal awareness of the love of the Father, just as Jesus enjoys. And the Holy Spirit is telling me that the Father loves me much more than I think He does. And so I'm hungry to know the Father's love. And I share that personal testimony with you only to help you know that hunger is an essential part of our discipleship. You can't grow without hunger. If you lose your hunger, then you stop tasting. And if you stop tasting, then you stop growing. Another great word that I'm impressed with in the Bible is the word withering. The Bible promises us that we can have in a relationship of being so sustained in the Lord and experiencing the fullness of His life that our leaf shall not wither. Be a great Bible study to study all that the Bible talks about withering. But did you notice in the two verses that we looked at here in this first point that we read where Jesus said that um, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for they shall be filled. And David said he satisfies the thirsty and he fills the hungry with good things. That there's a description of what happens when we taste. What happens when we taste the Lord? Jesus said we'll be blessed. And David said we'll be satisfied. Now the only way to be blessed and the only way to be satisfied and the only way to be filled 
is for something to get down into our heart. It has to go from our head into our heart. Spiritual hunger can't be satisfied with just head knowledge. Do you want to know God on a deeper level this morning than just head knowledge? Being a disciple of Jesus is not just knowing him in the head, it's knowing him in the heart. And our heart needs to be filled with something. So truth must get from the head to the heart. The only way for truth to get from the head to the heart is by tasting and by eating. Truth moves from the head to the heart by means of tasting the goodness of the Lord. And so that's why it works by hunger. Now, if you're hungry for more of God this morning, let me tell you something. That's a good sign. That's a good thing. That means God is calling you into a place of deeper communion with him. And the only way we can get to that place is by tasting the majesty of his grace. And that's how discipleship is supposed to work. It works by hunger. Disciples have a heart that hungers for God. And my vision and prayer for Cornerstone is that God will pour out His grace upon us so that we have a huge, voracious appetite for knowing Him. And the one thing I have noticed in the month that I've had the privilege of serving here on staff at Cornerstone is that there is a deep hunger amongst this family beginning with Pastor Brad and the staff. There's a hunger, and I believe that God has graciously enticed us into that hunger. And when He makes us hungry, it means He intends to satisfy us with something. And if this is true, that discipleship works by hunger, then a good soul formation question would be, what desire controls you? Another one might be, how do you medicate your soul's spiritual appetite for we all have one we all have a deep 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 spiritual hunger and appetite john piper wrote a book on fasting that he called hungering for god and in that book he says that hunger is the handmaid of faith in other words hunger is a gift from god hunger is designed to lead us to god Our cravings come from our emptiness so that it's an emptiness that only God is capable of filling. Now there's one more thing about spiritual hunger that I want to point out. Hunger is not a sign of weakness. Hunger is not a sign of shallowness or immaturity or stunted growth. Hunger is a gift from God. It's a mark of deep faith. Hunger is one of the highest forms of spirituality. That's what David meant when he said, Lord, you said, seek my face. So your face, O Lord, do I seek. David was a man of God. He's the, the, uh, the example for all men to acknowledge spiritual hunger. Listen to how David expressed it. He said, as the deer pants for the streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Fathers, do your children hear you as a father panting and hungering after God? 
This is what spiritual life is. This is what how discipleship works. It's by admitting our hunger, our appetite, and acknowledging that it can only be met in God. It can only be fulfilled at the Lord's table. David said, O oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. It seems like a paradox, doesn't it, that the more we taste the Lord, the hungrier we get. We sang a, a song earlier that had that concept in it. The more we respond to God's gift of hunger, the more it makes us hungrier still. And I believe that the strongest, most mature Christians I've ever met are people who are the hungriest for God. The more deeply you walk with Christ, the hungrier you get for Christ. The more you want to be done with sin, the more homesick you get for heaven, the more you want all the fullness of God. And so why do we sometimes have less hunger than at other times? There could be a variety of reasons. Some of them could be health related. But normally it's simply because we have overfilled ourselves with the little things of this world. And this is one of the greatest hindrances to spiritual hunger that we face today. We are overfilled with little things. We medicate ourselves on Satan's sugar substitutes. If you don't feel strong desire for the majesty of God, it may be because that you have been eating and drinking on the things of this world. I invite you to turn from the dulling effects of medicating your soul with the food and the idolatry of this world and to say to God, this much, O God, I want you. And that's because discipleship works by hunger. There's a second way in which the metaphor tasting shows us how discipleship is supposed to work. It's possible only because Jesus Christ makes God accessible. We can't come to God except through Jesus Christ, and we can't experience the rejuvenating life of God, the fullness of God, the abundant life of God without Jesus Christ. Isaiah anticipated that in Isaiah 55, 1, when he said, Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come, buy and eat. In other words, we're incapable of coming on our own. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. And this invitation was repeated by Jesus on the great day of the feast when he invites us into the presence of the Father and he said, come and drink. I am the water of life. Now in our text, Psalm 34, 8, it says that it's possible for the human to taste the divine. Taste and see that the Lord is good. When you think about that, how is that possible? For human beings to experience the divine life of God. It raises a mysterious question. How can sinful human beings have communion with a holy God? This potential for sinful human beings to have Communion with a holy God is what the Bible calls the great mystery of godliness. 
And God's desire long before man fell in the Garden Eden, before he created us, what he, the reason why he created man was to invite us into the fellowship of the Trinity. But Satan messed it up and he enticed Adam and Eve to taste something that was not designed to give to them and to be for them the source of eternal life. And to make a long tragic story short, the mystery of the ages, the question that the angels are whispering with wonder and amazement today about is how will God redeem these human creatures who he created for fellowship and how can he and how is he even this morning with this family at Cornerstone bringing them up to his table and enjoying fellowship together today how does he does that how does he do that rather For it's a moral impossibility for God to allow sin into his presence. If you want to know more about how God does that, how he makes it possible for humans to have fellowship with him, then I recommend that you come to listen to Pastor Brad preaching from the book of Romans. He does a great job on that. But let me just give you the short answer. God made this mystery of godliness possible through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ makes God accessible now to us. So that he has forgiven our sins. He's reconciled us to the Father. He's atoned for us so that we can now enter his presence and have fellowship with him. And Paul told the Colossians that we should now, therefore, set our affections on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father bearing intercession for our sins. That means that discipleship is supposed to work by putting our faith in Jesus Christ and setting our affections on on Christ who brings us into the rejuvenating life of God. Listen to how Jesus said it. Listen to these mind blow, this mind-blowing invitation. John 6, 57, The one who feeds on me will live because of me. John 6, 35, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. I think it was about three or four years ago I preached on that verse Easter Sunday morning. And it it just still lives and rings in my soul. Just, Just let it ring in your heart this morning. Just let those words ring. Never be hungry. Just say it in your own heart. Never be hungry. Never. Never. Those are Jesus' words. Never be hungry. Never be thirsty. That's what he told the, the woman at the, the, the Samaritan woman at the well, didn't he? So I can give you a drink that will satisfy you completely, and whoever drinks this water will never be thirsty again. That's an incredible invitation. And that's the way discipleship is supposed to work. Our sin has been fully dealt with by Jesus Christ. We trust in Christ and not ourselves, so there's nothing that we can do to connect with God. We connect with God only through Jesus Christ. And so discipleship is supposed to work by setting our affections upon Jesus Christ. The third way it works is that tasting means that we have the capacity to be filled with the fullness of God's abundant life. Listen to these amazing two verses. 2 Peter 1.4 That you may become partakers of the divine nature. You. 
you may be become partakers. Partake of it. Taste it. Taste what? The divine nature. Ephesians 3.19, this completes Paul's wonderful prayer so that you'll be filled with the Holy Spirit in the inner man so that you'll be able to comprehend the length and the breadth and the height of the love of God, that you'll be rooted and grounded in love, that Christ might fill your heart so that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. My heart hungers for more of that fullness this morning. What an amazing gift to be partakers of the divine nature, to be God tasters. Think of the optimism of God's grace, that it's possible for us to be experientially aware of the majesty of God, that we can know God as livingly real in our own hearts. And this is the way that discipleship is supposed to work. We bring our human experience up to God's divine nature and promise. We don't dumb down discipleship to the level of our current experience. We set our affections on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father, bearing intercession for us, and Christ in us gives us a hope of this kind of glory. You don't have to stay stuck in the pessimism of your fallen nature, my friend. We can be partakers of his divine nature. I wouldn't preach that if it wasn't the word of God. (laughs) And I don't even, I, I have to admit this morning, I don't even understand it. I preached on this verse my first year in the ministry and there was a preacher from Wales in in town and he took me out for breakfast on Monday morning and he said, Dale, he said, what did you speak on Sunday morning? I said, I preached on Paul's prayer in the book of Ephesians 3 about being filled with all the fullness of God. And he said, Dale, Dale. I said, what? He says, what makes you think that you understand what that means? He said, the saints from the ages can't comprehend what that gift is. Well, I was naive to think it's there in the scripture, so it's available for us all. But discipleship works, my friend, not by sin management, but by getting full of God's abundant life. Jesus took care of the relationship. That's what Pastor Brad is preaching in the book of Romans. Jesus took care of the relationship so that we can come into fellowship. Praise the Lord. Well, how does this happen? How am I doing on time? (laughs) It happens. It's entirely and completely the work of the Holy Spirit. Many older theologians have called this the witness of the Holy Spirit. It's the privilege of every Christian to experience the inward witness of the Holy Spirit that the saving work of Jesus Christ has been applied to our heart. And we can know it in our heart. And so tasting is the experience the Holy Spirit gives us to know the love of Christ and to eliminate our appetite for artificial sweeteners. Listen to these verses in Hebrews 6, 4 through 5. For you have tasted the heavenly gift. You've tasted what? The heavenly gift. And you have shared in what? The Holy Spirit. And have tasted the goodness 
of the word of God and the powers of the age to come. You've got a foretaste of what heaven's going to be like. Galatians 4, 6 says that God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. And there's Paul's prayer in Ephesians 3, that you'll be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner being, that you'll know the love of Christ and be filled with the fullness of God. And so discipleship absolutely will not work except by the Holy Spirit. Let me explain how that is. My wife makes a wonderful pecan pie. Or is it pecan pecan pie? And uh, I, can, uh, I could stand here all day trying to tell you how wonderful her pecan pie tastes. Perhaps I could use words that would give you a little measure of an idea of what a wonderful cook she is and how wonderful that pie is. But you have no idea how good her pecan pies are unless you taste it for yourself. Now, I know what you're thinking. Now I owe you a pie, right? How are you going to get one? Tasting is individual. Tasting is private. No one can share anyone else's tasting apparatus. My father tasted the presence of the Lord. My mother tasted the presence of the Lord. I would see them around the family altar in our house with tears running down their face, enjoying the presence of the Lord. But I had to taste for myself. You can't borrow somebody else's taste. You can't get taste second-handed. You don't know the taste until you've tasted it for yourself. But when you taste it for yourself, you will know. And that's why it's by the Holy Spirit. That's how it moves from head knowledge into heart knowledge, into experience. The Holy Spirit transmits the, the nutrition of Christ's nature the nature of God, the divine nature into us. And the indwelling spirit reproduces the nature of Christ within us. I really like the way that Charles Spurgeon, that great old English expositor, explained it. He talked about it as being like honey in the mouth. He said, and here's how he explained the ministry of the spirit. He said, God God the Father is like honey in the field. It's like honey in the flowers out there in the field, kind of, kind of away, kind of at a distance. It's out there. But then he said, God the Son is like honey in the hive. The, the bees go out and they bring it near. They bring it into the hive. But he said, God the Holy Spirit is like honey in the mouth. <laughs> it's experiencing it for yourself. It's an, a, per, a personal awareness of the satisfying sweetness of God's grace. And that's the work of the Spirit. And I'd love to talk to you more about that, but I need to move on to point number five. The fifth way in which discipleship works is that salvation is like a banquet to be enjoyed with a community of other God-tasters. Jesus said, The kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son." I believe that the purpose of the church is to make more and better disciples of Jesus Christ. And that's why Pastor Brad has hired me. (laughs) And that's why I'm preaching on this this morning. I'm championing this cause of discipleship. And I also believe that the biblical model of the church is more like a family than an institution. 
And that means that we make disciples within community by drawing people into relationship with one another. It is a family that eats together. It is a family that eats spiritual food together. And the way that discipleship works is for us to get together with other God tasters and eat spiritual food together. We taste together. We eat together spiritual food together, and then when we share the joy of that experience together, that's what we talk about when we get together as a family. This week, I had a terrible pain in my lower back. I think they call that a sciatic nerve or something. I was hammering T-posts in the ground off of a stepladder with a sledgehammer to put fencing around my apple tree to protect it from the mooses. And uh, I think I threw something out. And I was in such miserable pain that I couldn't, I couldn't walk straight. I, I, I bent over. It was embarrassing. I couldn't sit still. It was, it was such a distraction. And so I asked um, Joy Souter if there was any pain medication in the church. And Pastor Brad heard us talking. And so he came over and he said, let me pray for you. He put his hand on me and his arm around me and said a prayer and And I said, Lord, I want all your healing that you have to give. And I'm going to tell you something amazing. Brad, I haven't had a chance to tell you this, but at that moment, my pain began to subside, and it has not returned. And foolish me, I went and bought a big bottle of extreme Tylenol or whatever it is. And now I'm afraid I'll never need it. It's a waste of money. God healed me. God healed me, friends. God healed me in the context of community. Praise the Lord. And that's what I'm talking about. That's how discipleship works. That's how we taste the manifold presence of God. That's how we taste the goodness of God. God has been good to me this week. And His goodness came to me through my brother, through fellowship, through community. And I want to say something else before I move on to the next point, that we as a church of, as Cornerstones are trying to encourage us to have life groups and grow together in community. But, but one thing I appreciate about Cornerstone is that it is modeled from the top down and experienced from the top down. I have to tell you something. I'm going to let you in on an inside secret. It is a lot of fun working here at Cornerstone because we get to experience God. We come in Monday morning at 9 a.m. The first thing we do for half a day is we have Bible study and prayer and fellowship together. And the Holy Spirit comes and touches us and kisses us with the love of the Father together. And we experience community together. We're not just telling you to do it. We're doing it ourselves. And it's Pastor Brad that is leading the way in this. And it's wonderful. And so I want to say to you this morning that if you want to taste the goodness of God, then you need to get in a life group. <laughs> I'm going to use the bully pulpit to advertise life groups at this moment. You need to get in a life group. You're missing out because it happens in community. Matter of fact, the way that Jesus transforms our lives is three ways. You can think of it as a transformation triangle through his word, through his spirit, and through community. And let that stick in your mind. You need the word of God, you need the spirit of God, and you need the community of God or the word of Christ the Spirit of Christ in the community of Christ, the community that He has brought together. 
And discipleship only works in the context of family gatherings where we eat together. The sixth point is that it's by praying the word of God into our heart. And I don't have time to talk about that. But the Bible is a book that is designed for us to eat. The the Bible is a book for us to get acquainted with the author of the book. So let it get inside you and let it change your life. Psalm says, how sweet are your words to my taste. Many years ago, a missionary was sitting around a campfire with a few recent converts. And the missionary was asking about how their day had gone. And one man was visibly upset about something. And so he said, the missionary said, what's, what's wrong? And he said, well, my, my dog has eaten my new Bible. The missionary said, that's not a problem. He said, I can get you a new Bible. He said, no, you don't understand. That's not my problem. My problem is that the words of the Bible will change my dog's heart and he won't want to hunt rabbits anymore. The last way in which discipleship works in which the the metaphor of tasting explains it to us is that, and I I love this, this is the only way we witness. This is the only way we have the ability to influence our children, our family, and our friends to pursue God. And, and I discovered this. This week I was praying about what to preach, and or actually the last several weeks, and, and I said, Lord, I don't know what I'm supposed to talk about. And, and, and matter of fact, I've never preached on this this morning. This is a message God gave me for you this morning. And um, I was going between the the burden I had in my heart to speak on the church being a discipleship community, disciple-making community, and and this idea of um, it it working by thirsting. And the Lord, the Spirit of God spoke to me, said, look at 2 Timothy chapter 2. Well, I knew what 2 Timothy 2 was about. In verse 2 of 2 Timothy 2 is one of the greatest verses on discipleship. He says, Paul said to Timothy that take the things that you've heard from me and commit also to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. And then Paul gives three metaphors or descriptions of what discipleship looks like. The soldier, the athlete, and the farmer. And the Spirit of God said to me, I want you to take another look at the farmer. And I, the farmer has always evaded me. Like, I didn't understand what this means when it said, cause in 2 Timothy 2.6, it is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Many interpreters say that what Paul was meaning there is the preacher ought to get first dibs out of the offering plate. And that's not right. But what's it mean? What's it mean the hardworking farmer ought to have the first share of the crops? All of a sudden, I saw something amazing. I saw how discipleship and tasting are one and the same subject. When a farmer brings in the harvest, what's the first thing that he or she does? He tastes it. A couple weeks ago, I harvested my honey, and the first thing I did is I stuck my finger in the bucket, and I tasted that honey. I said, what flavor does the honey have this year? What blossoms did the bees forage on this year? Was it fireweed? Was it clover? What was... Oh, it's good. And the farmer gets the first taste. And that's how discipleship works. That's how you pass on a godly legacy to your children. You taste for yourself. Isn't that a wonderful principle that the farmer sells his crops, the farmer witnesses to his, the, the quality of his crops by having tasted the sweetness of his fruit himself? How many of you go out and pick blueberries? How many of you pick your raspberries? I dare you to try and pick those berries without eating them yourself. 
And after picking them, you come home and you say, oh, the berries were so sweet this year. Yeah, that's the principle. You tell others about the sweetness you've discovered in the Lord. Have you ever heard the story about the young boy who was trying to sell his mangoes on the busy street corner? He sat all day in the hot sun and, and he was, and he was tr- calling out to the people rushing by to come and buy his mangoes and it was slow going for him. So at the end of the day, he boarded the bus to go back home and he still had this basket of mangoes sitting in his lap. He was weary and he was hungry. And so he began eating one of his mangoes. And as that sweet juice ran down his face, he broke into a smile. Oh, he loved his mangoes. And as that, that juice just saturated his own soul, the people around him saw him enjoying it so much, they began to ask him, hey, you, you, you selling those mangoes? Yeah. And by the time the bus reached his home, he had sold all of those mangoes to the people sitting around him. You see, his, his inspiration was contagious to those around him. His witness came by the overflow of his own personal experience. And that's what tasting means. Tasting means that the farmer gets to enjoy the sweetness of it himself. And that's how discipleship works. Has the sweetness of the gospel touched your lips? Whatever we call it, however we describe it, it's like tasting mangoes. It's like honey in the mouth. We lead others by the contagious delight of our own appetite and hunger for Jesus Christ. Living for God is supposed to work by soul delight. And that's why it's described as tasting the goodness of God. So in conclusion, if you're not a disciple of Christ this morning, I invite you to receive Jesus Christ as the bread from heaven that gives you a heartbeat for God. Jesus is the only way for you to be a God taster. He's the one that makes God's nature accessible to us. He's the one way, the only way in which we can have fellowship with God. He's the only way to enter into fullness. Do you want fullness? The only way to get fullness is by asking Jesus through his spirit to make your heart begin to beat for the Lord. And if you are a disciple of Christ, I invite you to ask the Holy Spirit to fill you with a greater appetite for the living presence of God and ask him to make you more alive of a living awareness of the majesty and the glory of God and ask Him to touch your lips with that divine nature so that you are spoiled for anything else except the holy things of God. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for this wonderful word picture of what it is like to walk with you, to be tasters of your majesty. And Lord, we have tasted your goodness. We've found it to be a delight to our soul. And we ask that you will invite others now into that feast. Invite others to your table. Entice them to come, Lord. For living with you is like a banquet. It's like a banquet that we share together as a family. We're all tasting your glory, fellowshipping with you. And what a joy it is, Lord, 
Give us more of your fullness, we pray. May your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven just now. If the Spirit of God is nudging you to pray this morning, we invite you to come to the altar. There will be an elder there to pray with you. Just just listen to him. Press up to his table. Bring your hunger to him. He will satisfy you completely.